Good morning, North Wake. What a great song to come up to. I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but Brad Lang actually wrote that song. And I saw your heads. I saw your heads bobbing. You had a little rhythm out there. Uh, just so you know, uh, something's happened this morning. My wife has gotten me addicted to coffee. And uh, there's a phenomenon that happens when I drink coffee, and my daughter calls it being all jaked up. She says, I talk a lot, I talk really fast, and I become fun. So they're out of town, and I tried to make my own coffee this morning, and I think I made it a lot stronger than normal, so I'm a little jaked up. And then before your, this service, I had some Bojangles sweet tea, so uh, fasten your seatbelts. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. And while you're turning there, I would like to uh, give us a brief summary of where we've been up to this point. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses, the great leader of Israel, has has died. And Joshua is taking over his leadership. God commissions him. And God tells Joshua that he is to be strong and courageous. But Joshua's strength and his courage don't come from within. It comes from the fact that God will be with him like he was with Moses. That he will never leave him and forsake him. So Joshua's great hope in this strength and courage is God's presence with him. And that he should depend upon God's word for everything that he does. And so Joshua begins to take steps in obedience to that trust in God. And he begins to position the people to walk into the promised land, the, the land that had been promised to them to their father Abraham centuries before. And then last week when Larry preached, we, we noticed that Joshua sent in two spies into the promised land to check it out. And while they're there, they, they encounter and even go into the home of this prostitute named Rahab. And Ra, Rahab uh, hides them. And it says there that the reason Rahab protects these men is because she had heard about God's miracle at the Red Sea and their victory over these two great Amorite kings. And somehow this unlikely candidate becomes the first Canaanite convert. She believes in Israel's God and she says this. This is her testimony. She says that God is the God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. And it's because of her confidence in Israel's God that she protects these folks. And then she asks for their protection in exchange for herself and for her family. And under one condition, they agree. They say, you must keep our business a secret. And she agrees. And then she sends the spies out. She even gives them an escape plan. And the spies escape. And they return to to Joshua And they tell him all that's happened. And at the end of chapter 2, in that last verse, we read their favorable report, which says, The Lord has given all the land into Israel's hands. And this brings us to our passage this morning in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 3. Read with me. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. 
Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Pray with me. Father, as we study your word this morning in Joshua chapter 3, I pray that we would see you, that we would recognize your presence, and that, Lord, it would cause wonder. Be with us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. So in Joshua chapter 3, the author wants us to recognize three things. And the first thing that he wants us to recognize is found in the first six verses. He wants us to acknowledge the symbol of God's presence, the symbol of of God's presence. You see, the Israelites had been encamped at this place called Shittim since they defeated these great kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, back in Numbers 21. But now, with this favorable report from the two spies, Joshua rises early the next morning and he leads Israel from Shittim to the banks of the Jordan. If you're anything like me, I like to see maps so I can kind of orient where I'm at. So they had been down here. In Shittim, and they make this journey, which is about a seven-mile journey to the, to the banks of the Jordan. And they camp there, riverside, for three days until the officers come and give them some instructions. And the, the instructions that they give them are centered around this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, growing up unchurched, my first exposure to this thing called the Ark of the Covenant was the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. You can see, I think that's a VHS cover because when I was eight, that's what we watched was VHSs. And this movie is a race between Indiana Jones and the Nazis to discover and obtain possession of this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which supposedly possessed great power. And as an eight-year-old boy watching this movie for the very first time, the thing that I learned about the Ark of the Covenant was that if the lid was open and you looked into it, ghosts would come out and your faces would melt. That's what the Ark of the Covenant meant to me as an eight-year-old boy. Who, you know, I was thinking about this. What, who, what parents let your eight-year-old boy watch a movie where your faces melt off? Like, Mom, Dad, seriously, a better filter for me and my brothers? I think I have a mild form of PTSD. Every time I hear the theme song to Indiana Jones, I, I just twitch a little bit. Well, I digress. But movies, as you know, are not the most biblically accurate sources that we have. We don't want Raiders of the Lost Ark to be where we learn what the Ark of the Covenant is or its purpose. The Bible is. So three times in verses 1 through 6, ten times in chapter 3, and if we expand our search to chapter 4, which really complements chapter 3 well, the ark is mentioned 17 times. Now, I'm no literary expert, but when an author emphasizes and repeats something 17 times, I think he's trying to make a point. He wants us to see something important. So, what is Joshua's point? What is so important about the ark? 
Well, the real Ark of the Covenant is first mentioned in Exodus 25. Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and various other instructions. And God gives him the blueprints and the material list for the Ark's construction. In Exodus 31, we see that God enlists and equips two men, Bezalel and Ohaliab, to build this thing called the Ark. And in Exodus 37, we read of its completion. And over time, three symbols of God's relationship with Israel were placed into the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandment tablets, Aaron's rod that had budded, and a jar of manna. Now from the very beginning, the Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence with his people. Look here in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. God says to Moses, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony. That's the Ark of the Covenant. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So the Ark of the Covenant is where God met with Moses and would speak to him because this is where God chose to manifest his presence. And in the book of Numbers as well, we we read of its significance in the life of Israel. Numbers chapter 10, starting in verse 33, we see that to follow the Ark was to follow God himself. Numbers 10, verse 33. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Now when the people didn't follow the ark, God's presence was not with them. Look at Numbers 14, verse 43 through 45. Because you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, they came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. So the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. It was a tangible symbol of his presence with his people. And as long as they had the Ark with them, God was with them. And if God was with them, they had no reason to worry or to be afraid. Now, when I was a little boy, from about as early as I can remember till about the age 10, I was afraid of the dark. I was like really afraid of the dark. I was so afraid of the dark that I had this whole bedtime routine. Since my room was at the end of the house, uh, and I was the last one in the living room, I would leave the living room light on, and I would go into the hallway, and I would turn the hallway light on. And then I would go into the living room, And I would turn the light off in the living room and I'd run as fast as I could into the light of the hallway. Then I would go into my bedroom. I would turn that light on. And then I would go back into the light in the hallway, turn it off and run into the bedroom as quick as I could. And then I would pull back my sheets and get my bed just right. And I would go to that light switch. 
And I would turn it off and I would jump as fast as I could into the sheets, pull them over. Something about sheets makes you feel so safe. How does this thin layer of fabric protect you from all of these scary possibilities? The point is, I was was afraid. Really afraid. I was afraid of the unknown. All the things that would happen to me once the lights went off. When I was alone. I was afraid of the dark. But even though I was afraid of the dark, there was something that helped me in the midst of those fears. And it was my dad's presence. See, my dad worked at a paper plant growing up, and he worked shift work. So most of my childhood, uh, my dad was not home at night. But on the nights that he was home, for some reason, I was less afraid. And my dad would keep his lunchbox to the left of the refrigerator. Every time he would put that lunchbox to the left of the refrigerator. I actually found a picture. That's my dad's lunchbox. The only thing different was my dad had the word Mason written on top because he didn't want anybody to steal his food at work, right? But no, every time my dad was home, that lunchbox was to the left of that refrigerator. If that lunchbox was there, he was there. If that lunchbox was gone, my dad was gone. So this little blue, little playmate igloo cooler became the symbol of my dad's presence. It was something tangible that communicated to me that he was with me, that he was there. Now, in a much, much greater way. This is what the ark was to the people of Israel. It was something tangible. It was something they could look to that communicated to the Israelites that God was with them. It was a symbol of God's presence. And in the context of Joshua chapter 3, the ark of the covenant would go before them as it went before them, so God would go before them. God was the one leading them. And as this ark goes before them, they are told to follow behind the ark about 2,000 cubits. This is about a hundred, excuse me, about a thousand yards, about half a mile. Now, the ark was holy. And it was so holy that one time, Uh, It began to fall off of a cart, and a man reached out to stabilize it. And listen to what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Listen what happens. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. So so the ark is obviously holy. But our passage informs us that it's for another reason that the Israelites are to keep their distance. Verse 5 tells us that it was because of their unfamiliarity with the route that they were about to take. They needed to keep their distance so that they would know that the, the direction that God was going to lead them so that they would be safe. And they would be able to see this miracle that's about to take place at the Jordan River, which we're about to see. But before they set out, Joshua gives them a command. And he commands them to consecrate themselves. And the reason he requires this of them is because they are about to experience God's wondrous works. Listen to what Dale Davis writes about this passage in It's consecration. He says to consecrate oneself means the special preparation demanded for the people 
whenever Yahweh, God, was to reveal himself in a special way. It included the washing of clothes, the abstaining from sexual relationships, likely confession of sins as well. And then he says this. He says, in short, when the Lord comes, his people must be prepared. When the Lord comes, his people must be prepared. And then he asks these very insightful questions. He writes, do you prepare yourself for the practice of public worship of God? If we are not impressed with the grandeur of the living God in public worship, is it because we have not prepared ourselves to see him as such? Could it be that we even fail to detect the Lord's marvelous working in the routine affairs of our lives simply because we have not prepared ourselves to see or even expect that? So North Wake, do you prepare yourselves for worship on Sunday mornings? Do you awake early in the morning so that you're not rushed and you're able to prepare your own hearts and your minds? Do you leave early enough so that you get here in time to participate in all the worship elements with the rest of the body? Do you pray for our services? Do you pray for the leaders? Do you pray for one another? Most importantly, Do you come into this place expectantly? Expectant to experience the grandeur of the living God, as Davis puts it. For God's presence is with us. He is here. So the first thing we see in our passage this morning is the symbol of God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. And the second thing he wants us to see in this passage is the assurance of God's presence. The assurance of of God's presence. Picking back up in verse 17. The Lord said to Joshua, "Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan." And Joshua said to the people of Israel, "Come here, And listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now if you recall, back in chapter 1, verse 17, the people make this comment to Joshua. They say, only may the Lord... Your God be with you as he was with Moses. May the Lord. It's like they're saying, we'll see. We we hope he's like you, or with you, like he was with Moses. Only time will really tell. It it just doesn't seem that they're 100% sold on Joshua's leadership at that point. You see... Moses was the greatest leader that Israel ever 
knew. And the Israelites had witnessed on numerous occasions how God was with his servant Moses. But up until this point in Joshua chapter 1, God's presence with Joshua was unproven. So here we see in verse 7 that the Lord is beginning to exalt the people's view of Joshua. And he uses this phrase, no. God is going to make them know that he is with Joshua as he was with Moses. He's going to remove the Israelites' question mark and replace it with an exclamation point. Not only does God want the people to know that he will be with Joshua, but he wants them to know that he will be with them as well. You see, Joshua gathers all the people and he says, Listen to the words of the Lord your God. And the words that follow, the words that the Israelites hear, are words of assurance. In verse 10, he tells them how they will know. God is concerned with knowing. Earlier it was about them knowing that God would be with Joshua like he was with Moses. And here he wants them to know that he will be among them as well. And with this assurance of God's presence comes assurance that he will give them victory over the peoples of the land. Joshua would not lead them to victory. The Israelites would not be primarily responsible for their own victory. No, the God who is with Joshua, the God who is among the people of Israel, he is the one who will give them victory. This is their great hope. And with this assurance of God's presence, Joshua once again draws them to the symbol of God's presence, the the ark. With this attention-grabbing word, he says, Behold, he's saying, Look, see, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, his presence. He's with us. And the names of God in this passage emphasize this, the greatness of God. He is a living God. He is the Lord of all the earth, and as such, He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And Joshua is saying, Behold, this God is with us. Joshua can be strong and courageous because of God's presence with him. The people can be strong and courageous because of God's presence among them. And this God will never leave them nor forsake them. And they will know this when God does the wonder, what was mentioned in verse 5. There we hear of this wonder. Here we find out what that wondrous work will be. God is going to perform a miracle for them like he did with Moses when the Israelites left Egypt. There he parted the Red Sea. Here he was going to cut off the Jordan River's water flow. And the God who was with Moses would, in fact, be with Joshua. He would, in fact, be with the Israelites. And the passage tells us that as soon as the priest's feet, who are carrying the ark, touch the water, the water upstream is going to stand in one heap. At this point, one commentator wrote, That is quite a feat for feet, even priests. I told you earlier, I was afraid of the dark, and the symbol of my dad's presence was his little blue, little playmate, igloo cooler. 
And that helped alleviate some of my fears. But that was not the only thing. You see, my dad promised that he would always be there for me. Whenever I needed him. He wanted me to know that he would always protect me. Like all good fathers, my dad assured me over and over and over again that as long as he was around, nothing bad would happen to me or my brothers. No monster under the bed, no bad people, no extreme weather, nothing. He would watch over me and he would keep me safe. And the assurance of my dad's presence meant everything to me. Again, in a much, much greater way. This is what God is up to. He is providing assurance of his presence to his people. He wants his children to know that their sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God is with them. And because he is with them, there's no need for them to be afraid. So we've seen the symbol of God's presence We've looked at the assurance of God's presence, which brings us to our third and final section of chapter 3, which is the climax of our chapter, and we see the proof of God's presence. The proof of God's presence. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel were passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The wondrous works that the people had consecrated themselves for in verse 5 and was foretold in greater detail here in verse 13. Now, Now it happens. Now it happens. And it's with great anticipation that we reach the climax of our story. But it's interesting. Right before the story begins to peak, the author interrupts his account with a weather alert. It's like those alerts we get from that emergency alert system. You know the sound? Who, who hates that sound? That is the worst sound in the world, and here's why it's so bad. I know it does good things. Now, listen, it keeps people safe. But it usually interrupts my football game with two minutes left in the game, and my team is down, and we're driving to score the game-winning touchdown, and this comes on. And then there's some report that says, somewhere in about two hours, there will be a major storm. Really, Greg Fischel? Like, I think I got that. I'm from Florida. I can look outside. I can see when a storm's coming. Thanks a lot, WRL. Now, put my game back on. All right? Now, from a more sensitive side, it's like watching that romantic movie on cable. And right when the boy gets the girl and they're about to move in for that first kiss, they interrupt to a weather alert. Like, seriously, guys, if I'm watching my favorite romantic movie and it's interrupted just before the most famous kiss scene in all cinematography, <laughs> you better have a good reason. I want to see my lady kiss my tramp. Come on now. 
don't interrupt the greatest kiss of all time. So they have to have a good reason to do this. So what is our author's good reason for cutting to a weather alert just before the Jordan and this miraculous ceasing of the waters? He has a very good reason. And it actually increases and adds to the climax of the story. The weather alert found in verse 15, which is in parentheses in many of your translations, is informing us that this is no normal Jordan River crossing. Normally, the Jordan River would have been about 90 to 100 feet wide and about 3 to 10 feet deep. But this was flood season. As the author puts it, this is harvest time. Listen to what commentator Dale Davis wrote about this weather alert in Joshua chapter 3. He says, The river Israel faced in springtime was no placid stream, but a raging torrent, probably a mile wide and covering a mass of tangled brush and jungle growth. So why would God choose this time? The most difficult time of the year. Harvest time. When the river is at flood stage. When it would be at its most impossible to cross on foot. Listen again to Davis as he continues his thought and answers this question. Yahweh delights to show his might in the face of our utter helplessness. Apparently so that we cannot help seeing that we contribute nothing to our deliverance. Perhaps he brings us into possible situations so bleak and hopeless for the very purpose of impressing upon us that if we make it through, if we endure it, if we are not overwhelmed and washed away, it will be only because of his grace and power. Is this his way of teaching us our own inability and helplessness in order that we may realize that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth? What about you? Are you in a place of hopelessness? Is there something in your life that just seems insurmountable? Maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you just simply think that your sins are just too big for God's grace. As we're about to see, nothing is too big for God to overcome. He allows us to get to places like this, like the Israelites staring at the Jordan River at its highest flood stage, so that our great need for his presence, his involvement, is necessary for us to make it through it. And if we endure... And he brings us through it. He will be glorified. Because he is the only one who could have done such a great work. And the good news is that God never seeks his glory at the expense of his children's good. So God is glorified. And good is accomplished in our lives. So this, this weather report, it helps us to appreciate the miracle even more. And as predicted... The waters of this torrent river at flood stage stood and rose up in a heap. And this happened far away in a city called Adam. Back to our map. So they were here. Adam is up here. Some estimate this is about 16 to 18 miles upstream. So God cuts off this water miles upstream in a large heap. And somehow, some way, they could still witness this. 
This must have been a mighty heaping up of the river. And if it weren't enough for God to cut off the water flow and heap it up, and if doing that during the most difficult time of the year when the river was at flood levels, if those two things were not enough, verse 17 gives us another piece of miraculous information. It says the priests stood firmly on dry ground. All Israel passed over on dry ground. No shallow water. There were no puddles. No mud on the feet. Because God miraculously made the ground dry. Of a flooded waterbed dry. Now God's just showing off. He's just showing off. Remember that Joshua had told them that God would do wonders among them. Everything in Joshua chapter 3 points us to God's presence, which always results in wonderment. When God works, he causes wonder. When was the last time God caused you to wonder at his works? When you read his word, do you pause and simply wonder? When you contemplate the gospel, are you struck with amazement? When you look at your own life and see what he has done in you and through you, does it result in wonderment? I would encourage you, take some time this week. Hit pause on everything else that's going on in your world just for a little while. Maybe look at God's attributes. Maybe spend some time looking at his miracles in Scripture. Maybe it's simply just writing down a list of all the ways he has loved you and gotten you through tough times in your own life. And take some time and pray prayers of thanksgiving for all of his wondrous works. We're such a busy people that if we don't slow down enough and ponder his presence with us, I'm afraid we'll miss the wonder of it all. Now back to my fear of the dark. Now it would be cool if I could tell you that my dad did some miracle and like made light come on my room with the lights being turned off, but my dad's not that cool. All right, No miracles were done. But every chance my dad got, he proved to me that he was there and truly would help me when I needed him. Any noise in the house or outside the house, my dad was the first one to check it out. If I called to him in the middle of the night, he would immediately come to my room and see if I was okay. Even when I would do stupid things and get myself in trouble, my dad would be there with me, walking me through it. You see, my whole life, my dad has proven to me that he would be there for me. So I had the symbol of my dad's presence, that little blue Playmate lunchbox. I had the assurance of my dad's presence, him always making sure that I knew he would be there for me. And I had proof of my dad's presence. Him tangibly showing me through his actions that he would be there whenever I needed him. These three gave me confidence in the midst of my great fear. Now put yourself in the sandals of the Israelites for a second. They have a brand new leader, an unproven leader. They are crossing over a raging river at its most possible stage. And they are about to go to war with seven different nations. I don't know about you but I would have a little bit of fear. I would be a little bit more than concerned. So here, the Lord their God, the living God, the Lord of all the earth, 
is giving his children confidence through his presence. God gives them a symbol of his presence in the ark. God gives them assurance of his presence by making them know that he would be with Joshua and he would be among them. And God gives them proof of his presence in the miraculous dry ground crossing of the Jordan River. And why does God do all of this? So that his people would know that he was with them and that he would be their confidence, that he would be their hope. Their hope of victory was not in themselves. It was in the God who was with them. You see, God's presence changes everything. A confidence in God's presence changes everything for them, and it changes everything for us. We have things that remind us of God's presence. Ours might not be the same as the ark, but the reminders nonetheless. The the cross, the Lord's table, baptism. These bring to mind God's presence, his love, and his great sacrifice for us. Not only that, but... God also assures us in his word that he will be with us. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's that attention-grabbing word. Behold, he is with us till the ends of the age. And finally, God proves his presence of love for us in this. Romans 5, 8, God shows, he demonstrates, he proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as a result of his love for us and his presence for us, we receive God's constant presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, the same God who is with Joshua and the Israelites in the mighty crossing of the Jordan River is with you and I today. The question is, will we trust him? When you are suffering, when you're afraid, when you don't know how you're going to get through it, Will his presence be enough? Will his presence get you through it? And when he works, which he will, will you wonder? Will you be amazed? Will you take enough time to praise him for his wondrous works in your own life? Now, if you're here today and you just don't know if God's presence is with you, you don't have that assurance, you don't have that proof, then, friend, God offers his presence to you this morning. We've already seen in our passages this morning that nothing is too big for our God to rescue his people from. He made a one-mile-wide, raging river stop by sticking dirty priest's feet in it. He can help you overcome your sin through the cross of Christ. He can save you from your sins. None of them are too big. Will you trust him today? If so, as the praise team comes and I pray, you can simply bow your head. You can do it where you're at. You can come down front. There's nothing magical about the position, but you just confess your sins to him. 
You commit to follow him all of your days. You tell him that he is your only confidence and only hope. God wants to give you his presence today through the person of Christ. And church, for us who have that presence in our life, this is a great time for us to just spend in wonder. Being amazed once again at how great our God is. To remember that this great God has worked in our lives and to praise him for his wondrous works in our lives. So feel free to come and praise him today. Pray with me. Father, we can read chapters like this many times and then just start our day. I pray that this morning that you have let us just pause just for a moment to gaze upon you once again, to see your presence in our life and in the life of those who were your children in the past and just be stunned, just to sit and stand in wonder. Father, help us each day to acknowledge your presence in our lives, which will overcome all of our fears. For you are our hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.